At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. Well, it's a great time of year. Football is back. Praise God. Praise God. I spent most of the day yesterday with my boys who are playing for different teams, different ages out there, but excited that football is back. College football uh, is a reason to praise God over and to celebrate, unless you're from Ohio. But anyway, I won't go deeper into that. But um, it's interesting using football as an analogy for what's specific about today. Uh, Pastor EJ told you to think about this card. I want you to pull it out. And, uh, and here's why I bring out football, because every football fan or team or coach or player will tell you what happens in the fall is not determined in the fall. It's actually determined in the spring, because in the spring, there's a day called Commitment Day. Anybody ever heard of Commitment Day? Commitment Day is when high school recruits declare what college they're going to go to. And if colleges can win Commitment Day, they'll win in the fall. Well, today, friends, is Commitment Day at Woodside. And in many ways, what happens today will determine our future, whether or not Woodside is a church that uh, helps people to belong to Jesus, to grow in Jesus, to reach the world for Jesus, or whether or not we aren't. Uh, what is the commitment? We're simply asking for you to consider uh, making uh, one of two commitments. First, if you turn it over, uh, step number one is to take that next step in your uh, commitment here at the church. Sometimes you'll see championship teams with these t-shirts that say all in. We're asking for you to consider being all in and what God is doing through this family here at Woodside. So one of the ways you can do it is by being a part of Next Steps. Next Steps is uh, our introduction to our church, and it's the pathway to membership. Maybe you can consider that. Also, our worship gatherings. There are 15 weeks left in this year. Can you believe that? Only 15 weeks left. But I want to give you what I call the 15-week challenge. Maybe you've never committed to going to church and the gathering with God's people for 15 consecutive weeks. Let's finish the year strong. Or maybe you can serve. There are so many areas where we need for you to serve and get plugged in from kids and students to serving in our community and beyond. Or maybe even joining the life group. You've heard us talk a lot about that. So here's how it works. In the lobby today, you're going to see tables and big banners for each one of those. And whatever your next step is, be it becoming a member or joining a group or committing to serve, we're asking for you to be all in to what God is doing. You know, one of the things we never want to promote here at Woodside is consumer Christianity, this thought that the purpose of the Christian life is just to receive. No, you've become fully alive when you not only receive, but you're able to contribute as well. How many want God to use you in great ways? How many desire uh, that? Amen. The second thing we want you to think about is one person. One person that you know that needs community, that needs to be a part of a spiritual family that loves them, that is on mission, that is living for something bigger and greater than ourselves 
and, uh, and maybe you can encourage them or invite them or welcome them or ask them to be a part of what God is doing at Woodside. So today I'm asking for you to commit, and I will say uh, unequivocally, that what happens today will determine our future. If we win commitment day, I believe we'll win in the future. How many want to be all into what God is doing through our spiritual family here at Woodside? Come on and give God praise. Amen. Come on and give God praise for that. So please make sure you check in. Or if you're in a rush, there's a QR code there. Just scan it and you can do it online. A couple clicks, get plugged in, and one of our team members will follow up uh, with you. Well, I'm pretty fired up that today I get a chance to uh, continue on our journey in the book of Romans. Romans today is absolutely uh, fascinating and fantastic. Every Sunday morning, my wife and I have this habit of waking up and praying for our pastors, their families, their spouses, their kids, and their campuses across all 15 campuses, praying that God encourage them and that the gospel will go forth in amazing ways. We did that this morning. Morning. And as is my habit, after we pray for them, then we, uh, I typically will send them a text of encouragement. This morning, my text was very simple. It was, listen, God has given us one of the finest pieces of text in all of scripture to be able to preach today. And I wanted to encourage them that way. And I really do believe that about Romans chapter 5. It is one of the, the purest presentations of the gospel that can save your soul and change your life forever. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter five. Now, Paul has been throughout Romans dealing with this question. And the question is simply, uh, how does a person get justified before God? How do we experience being made right with God? Paul has argued that everyone has sinned, that the Jew has sinned, that the Gentile has sinned, that all men have sinned, all women have sinned, that we all are under the judgment of sin before a righteous God. And if this is true, how then are any of us made right? Because we all know that sin deserves punishment, that a just and a good God can't simply wink or turn his head at sin, but he has to ultimately, if he is just and good, deal with sin as any judge must. And so we know the penalty of sin. And so the question that Paul is dealing with is how do we experience forgiveness, redemption, justification, and reconciliation. And in verse 12, it starts with this word, therefore. Now that word therefore is always a connector. And he's connecting back to verses 10 and 11. He wants to remind us of what he's just established, and that is how a person is reconciled to God. And here's the answer. But God, I'm sorry, verse number 10 of chapter uh, 5, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That word reconciliation, the act of reconciliation is simply this. It's the act of taking enemies and making them friends. We were enemies to God. Our sin had separated us from God. And Jesus comes to reconcile us to take two parties, two enemies, and make them friends. Can I just say a parenthetical statement here? 
that this is the greatest act of reconciliation ever recorded in human history, and it should be a message to us, that if God can take sinful humanity through the cross of Christ and reconcile us to a holy God, he can also reconcile our broken human relationships. I don't know what human relationships are broken in your family, in your life, among your friends, even with your children, but don't lose faith in the power of God to reconcile. He's a reconciling God. But Paul wants to go on further. And as we look at verses 12 through 21 today, what we're going to see the Apostle Paul do is explain to the curious mind why we need justification in the first place. Why do we need to be reconciled in the first place? In other words, he surveys the evil in the world and he's answering a really big question, how in the world did we get here in the first place? And what we will see is that our lives are ruled by one act from one man. That our lives are ruled by one act from one man, He's going to explain how that all works. Now, one of the things that's brilliant about the Apostle Paul is you can drop him into any culture, any society, and he will find some aspect of that society that connects to the gospel, that becomes a springboard for the gospel. Maybe one of the greatest examples of this is seen in Acts 17. Paul, by the Spirit of God, is led to Athens, this place of learning and religiosity and great ideas, but they are a pagan culture, not familiar with Jesus at all. And so how do you share the gospel in a context like this? Well, Paul walks around the city and he sees all of their artifacts and he learns about their culture, even reads their poets. And he sees this uh, altar inscribed with this inscription to the unknown God. And that was it. He knew what would be the connection. And he says, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. And he uses their love for new ideas and religious thought, even as pagans, as a springboard to introduce them to the unknown God, the God that they declare as unknown, who has revealed himself and made himself known through the face of Jesus Christ, and it is absolutely brilliant. I think sometimes, what would he use as a springboard for the gospel if he was walking the streets of America? Can you imagine Paul being dropped by the Spirit of God right into the heart of America and he's walking our big cities, the streets of our big cities? What would he observe? I believe, this is just a guess, but I believe that what Paul would say is, men and women of America, I see that you are very political in every way. I think he would notice our partisan passions and I think Paul, being as brilliant as he was as a gospel communicator, would use those partisan passions, those political passions as a springboard for representing the gospel and explaining the gospel. Now, one of the unique things about our form of government is that it is a, a federal democracy. And what I mean by that is we have a representative form of government. We have individuals that we elect uh, by the people, for the people, supposedly. Uh, that's the way it's supposed to work. And they represent us. And how many are passionate about who represents you? I mean, you're passionate, right? This is why we no longer have to think about elections every four years like the good old days, but it seems like we're in perpetual elections now. We're constantly on a local, state, or federal level, constantly thinking about who represents us. 
And I think that if Paul was here, what he would argue, as he does so powerfully from verses 12 through 21, is that as passionate as you are about who represents you on earth in this life, you need to be even more passionate about who represents you spiritually in the life to come. Because each of us have either one of two representatives, and who your representative is spiritually will determine your eternal destiny. Now, let's pick up verses 12 through 14 where Paul's gonna argue that the first representative for all of us is Adam. And in Adam, death reigns. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Adam represents all of humanity. And one of the ways that theologians have describe this particular passage of scripture is that it deals with a very important doctrine. As a matter of fact, this passage is the door hinge upon which all of the gospel really swings. If you get this, you understand it all. And what is he saying here? That in Adam, because of his sin and disobedience, all of us were counted guilty of sin. We are all represented by Adam. When he violates and disobeys God's command from Genesis 2:17. You remember that command. Adam, from all the trees of the garden you can eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Adam decided to rebel against God. Eve rebelled against her husband, who she had received commandment from, who had received it directly from the Lord. And from them, our progenies, our representatives, all were counted as sin because we were represented federally by Adam. Now, how many of you right now say, hey, I didn't vote for that guy? How many in here say that, right? I know what you're thinking. None of us like this. None of us like this thought that we received the penalty of sin and inherited a sin nature because of one man's act. But that's how it works. He says that sin came into the world through one man. And not only did sin come into the world through one man, but the consequence of that sin is death. He says in Genesis 2 that the day you eat from this tree, you shall surely what? Die. Now, there's two types of death that we need to be aware of. One is physical, and as bad as that may be, the greater one is spiritual. But isn't it interesting that we spend most of our energy preparing for the physical death? Many of you in here have life insurance or trust that you've put together. You've maybe even created an estate plan. Why? Because you're thoughtful people and you want to make sure that those that you love are taken care of while you're alive and even after you die. I am amazed at how much planning we put into our physical death and how little planning we put into the thought of spiritual death. Physical death represents the end of a chapter that is only 70, 80, 90 years 
for most of us, but spiritual death is for eternity. This is far weightier, friends, and what Paul is pleading with us to consider is how prepared are you for the reality of your spiritual representation? If Adam is the one that is representing you, then death reigns with Adam. And he says, death reigns and spread to all men because all sinned, all sinned. All have inherited the sin nature. He's not talking about individual acts of sin. We sin because we are sinners. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Because we have this inherited sin nature from Adam, we continue to violate conscience and do what is contrary to the very will of God. You don't have to teach us to sin. It is part of us from the moment we are born. You don't have to teach kids to be selfish. You do the test. You get two little kids in a room with one toy and the sin nature is there. It's empirical. We are sinners by nature. Where did that come from? What did our propensity to do? What is evil? What is wrong? What is ungodly? Where did that come from? That came from our representative, Adam. And he goes on to say that uh, death reigns because sin is present. But sin is not sin where there is no law, he says. The law is what reveals sin. So in other words, if I'm speeding where there is no speed limit, then I'm not sinning. But yet, in order to reveal to us how sinful we are, he brings the law. It exposes it. We'll get to that in a moment. But he says, but yet the sin nature was even there before the law was there. Now, for those of you who know a little bit about the way the Bible is laid out, the law comes through Moses, a later figure after Adam. He establishes the law. He gives God's commandments to Israel and through Israel to humanity. But what God is saying through Paul here is that we had a sin nature even before there was a speeding, uh, a, a speeding sign out there, before there was a speed limit sign out there. We already had a sin nature, and because of that sin nature, death reigned from uh, Adam to Moses. And all of us have sinned. Not like Adam, though. Because our trans, uh, transgression is different than Adam's. Adam, his sin was the original sin, and it was a representative sin. Now, many of us may say, well, I reject this. I don't like this. I didn't vote for Adam. But this is the doctrine of imputation. And imputation simply is the teaching that we receive something credited to us that we did not, through our own actions, do and so in Adam, we received, credited to us, sin. Now, R.C. Sproul, great teacher of the Bible, says this, for those who push back against imputation or this sense of Adam being our representative, he says, if you are objecting on the grounds that the principles of representation and imputation are wrong in and of themselves, then you must realize that you have just taken away the ground basis for your salvation. It is only by representation that you are saved and only by imputation that you are redeemed. If it is right for God to save a man on the basis of another man's work, it is also right for God to punish us on the basis of another man's work. 
That's the way that it works, friends. But here's the, the awesome thing is that we don't have to have Adam as our representative. Now, you may say, I didn't vote for that guy, but every time we rebel against God, we are casting our vote for Adam. Every time we sin, we are saying that Adam is my representative. But how many want a different representative? How many want a different representative? I mean, we all know what it's like to have somebody in our government that represents us that we aren't in favor of. See, the way a representative government works is that if you voted for the guy who lost and another guy won, you still have to accept that they are your representative. You may not like it, but they are your representative and their actions impact you. Well, Paul is picking up on this thought. It's brilliant and a great analogy for us, but we have been represented by Adam, but now through Christ, we have a choice to have another representative. And who is that representative? Jesus. He picks up this thought in verse number 18. Let's skip to verse number 18. We'll come back to verse number uh, 15. But he wants us to understand that in Jesus, grace reigns. It's different than in Adam. Look at what he says. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That's a great place to shout amen. Verse number 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Folks, this is so good that I wish I had three more hours. But I don't. So let me be efficient. Here's what he's arguing. He is arguing, friends, that just as sin entered through the world and into our lives through one representative, and that death reigned, now Jesus Christ has come, and through the act of what he did on the cross of Calvary, we now have the ability to have another representative. The old man, Adam, his representation will always lead to death in your life. It will always lead to condemnation. But Jesus, when he is your representative, brings grace and life. Though your sins are many, how many praise God? His mercy is more. I love that. He says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It's as if God, keeping count in heaven, was saying, I don't care how much Satan puts on the scoreboard, there's going to be a great comeback. And the greatest comeback story is not in college football or in professional sports. It's the way that Jesus comes back, pays our sin debt, dies, raises again, and offers us life in that more abundant. How many want grace to rule in your life as opposed to condemnation? How many want life instead of death? Now, we all want the benefits, but here's the question. How do we receive those benefits? How do we receive forgiveness? How do we receive mercy? How do we receive grace? We all 
needed, we all want it, how do we get it? How do we enter into the blessing of Jesus being our representative? Well, if Adam's representation leads to death and Jesus' representation leads to life, it's only really one question for any of us, and that is, who is your representative? Who represents you? Not on earth, but spiritually. Verse number 15, he tells us, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the results of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus. I hope you didn't miss it. He tells us how to make Jesus our representative. He tells us how we can enter into life and grace. In three short verses, five times, he, he describes salvation or justification as a free gift. A free gift. What do you do with a free gift? You know, this weekend, um, we celebrated my son Cameron's 11th birthday. And uh, it entered into an interesting conversation. He's 11 now, and he thinks he's a man. And so we begin to talk about the amount of free will he should be given, and he is quite the negotiator. He wants to argue that I should get more free will dead. But as it tends to go in my house, natural conversations tend towards spiritual conversations. So after we talked about his argument for more free will, I began to ask him, son, what do you do? What do you do if you've gotten a nice gift for somebody, a wonderful gift for somebody, and they won't take it? And he says, Dad, all you can do is keep offering it to them again and again in hopes that they will. That's exactly the privilege of the pastor, the role of the preacher. It is to continue by God's grace as his ambassador to keep offering to you a free gift. What is that free gift? That Adam no longer has to be your spiritual representative. But what do you do with a free gift? Verse number 17 answers the question. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through, one, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Free gifts are to be received. Today, you can't earn it. It's not because of your works, your cuteness, your brilliance, your giftedness. That's not what gets us into heaven. It is a recognition of our spiritual condition that, man, I have blown it. I have messed up, not only in Adam, but on top of that, through my own actions, I've sinned and dishonored God. And I'm deserving of his judgment, deserving of his justice, but I don't want it. 
I want grace. I want mercy. And so Jesus dies, raises again with all power in his hand. And he comes to us and he offers us this free gift. And what he's been doing since Paul and continuing throughout the apostles and even up to this day through pastors and Bible teachers is again and again and again offering you this free gift. So my question to you, friends, is what will you do with this gift of salvation? Will you continue to leave or live a life where Adam is your representative? Or will you accept the free gift of this precious offer of salvation? You no longer have to live under condemnation, alienated from God, but you can be reconciled to God. And in reconciliation, in justification, not only are we no longer accounted as sinners, but we are now sons and daughters of God. How many praise God for his grace and for his mercy, amen? I'm gonna invite you to stand with me today as we prepare to close. I told you that today was commitment day. Commitment always starts with salvation. And if you have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I implore you, I urge you, I beg of you that you would accept the free gift of this offer of salvation by faith, trusting in him. And after we worship, Pastor EJ will come, he'll close us out. But then we will have friends here at the front for you to just come pray with and say, I want the free gift the gift of all gifts. I want Jesus as my representative. Father, may this word be planted in our hearts. May it bear much fruit. May we receive the free gift of your goodness and may we tell the world about it. Until Christ's return, until all have heard, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.